Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. If you would, look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. I want you to understand that before the foundation of the world was laid, before there were any footsteps heard in the halls of history, before Jeremiah was even a gleam in his daddy's eyes, God knew him. And God had a plan for his life. In fact, the Bible tells us that God had set him apart, consecrated him, called him out to be a prophet to the nations, even from his mother's womb. And I would like to submit to you very respectfully, brothers and sisters, that the very same thing is true for you and me. The very same thing is true for every child conceived. From Adam and Eve's children to the child that was conceived last night, that before the foundation of the world, before there were any footsteps heard in the halls of history, before any child was a gleam in his daddy's eye, God knew that child. God had a plan for that child's life. God knew me before I was born. He knew that I would be six feet tall with big ears and a long neck and red hair. He knew that I would marry the oldest and best-looking daughter of a southern fried Baptist preacher. He knew that we would have nine children. Now, I know where children come from, and I know you're thinking that I missed that class in medical school. But we do know where children come from. We just believe that when the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord, And that blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And my quiver is pert near full. That we believe that that's a promise from God. And we're not afraid of having children. In fact, I brought Thomas with me today. He's my youngest. Raise your hand, Thomas. Stand up and raise your hand. There you go. There's Thomas. We'll talk a little bit more about Thomas in a moment. But God has blessed us with nine children. And you see, God knew all of that before the foundation of the world. He knew all about you, about your family, your lineage. And He had a plan for your life. Now here's the question. Who are we to abort the plan of God? Who are we to terminate the plan of God? Because you see, abortion interrupts the eternal purpose of God in the life of an individual child. Some years ago, more than 25 years ago, a young lady came into my office, 17 years of age, very attractive young lady with blonde hair and blue eyes. She was the head cheerleader of a very large high school in Spartanburg County. She was the number two academic student in her senior high school class. She had a plan to go to college and one day become a pediatrician. She had the academic qualifications to make that dream 
come true. She was in my office with her mother. And as I looked at her on the exam table, my, eye, my mind flashed back to 10 years prior when she sat on that exam, exact same exam table with a little dress and bobby socks and patent leather shoes, very nervously anticipating her baby shots. Ah, how things had changed because that day she sat on that exact same table anticipating the results of a pregnancy test. Well, you see, she was not married. And it was my unfortunate responsibility that day to tell her that her pregnancy test was positive. And when I did, she began to weep silently. And her mother sat there stone-faced. And I began to encourage her as best I could. And I told her, I said, you know, this changes the course of your life. But it doesn't ruin your life because God is a sovereign God and He has a plan for your life and for the life of your child. And I told her, I said, you will be a good mother to your child. I know your family. I knew that her daddy was a deacon in a Baptist church, that her mother had taught Sunday school for years. But when I told her that she would be a good mother to that child, her mother stood up suddenly with a jerk and said, no, no, she is not going to have this child and we're going to the abortion clinic in Greenville Saturday morning. Well, I was quite taken aback and I looked at her mother and I said, Mom, you can't do that. That would violate every Christian conviction that you've ever held. And when her mother said that, this little 17-year-old, beautiful, blue-eyed, blonde-haired girl immediately began to wail out loud. Her mother wheeled around, opened the door of the exam room, and stomped out of the room and out of my office. I looked at that young lady and I said, your daddy is a righteous man. You go home and appeal to your father. You need to go with your mother. And she did. She got up and scurried after her mom. And I thought that would be the last that I would ever see of them. Now what happened in that exam room? I want you to understand that there was a titanic spiritual battle for the life of her unborn child going on in that exam room at that very moment. I want you to understand that that mother, that Baptist Sunday school teaching mother had lost her biblical mooring. And she was set adrift in a sea of moral relativism. And suddenly she was willing to sacrifice the life of her unborn grandchild on the altar of her daughter's academic pursuits and to prevent embarrassment and shame for their family. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that there is no circumstance, no matter how desperate, that justifies the killing of an innocent unborn child. And I'm a family doctor and I understand all of those desperate circumstances. I've dealt with every one of them over the course of 40 years of practicing family medicine. I've dealt with rape and incest and handicapped children, with moms who are in the middle of a college career with a scholarship that they would lose because of a pregnancy, no husband, no boyfriend, no finances, no medical insurance, you name it, and I've dealt with it. But I'm here to tell you that there's no circumstance, no matter how desperate, 
or difficult that justifies the killing of an innocent, unborn baby boy or baby girl. How many abortions really take place in South Carolina? In the 1980s, in 1985 to be exact, there were 15,000 abortions a year in the state of South Carolina. Because of the pro-life legislation that you have prayed for and coaxed our legislators to pass over the last 25 years, that number's down to 5,700 a year. Two-third decrease in the last 25 years. But 5,700 abortions a year is still too many. The abortion clinic in Greenville performs over 35 abortions a week still. In America, there are 1.1 million abortions a year, down from a peak of 1.5 million abortions a year in the early 1990s. How many is 1.1 million? Do you, do you have any idea how many that is? Do you know that all the soldiers ever killed in armed conflict, American soldiers, from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War, to the War of 1812, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq. If you add them all together, it does not equal one million. And yet we kill a million plus unborn children by abortion every year since 1973 in America. And people look at me and say, well, Doc, I understand what you're saying. And I really believe that we really shouldn't be practicing abortion as a, a birth control method. But what about handicapped children? Well, what about them? Well, you know, Doc, I mean, don't you think it'd be better if, if, um, if what? Well, you know, don't, wouldn't it be better if they weren't, weren't what? Wouldn't it be better if, the, if you mean if they weren't born? Well, yeah, Doc. You mean it'd be better if they were killed by abortion before they were born? Well, don't say it that way, Doc. It's That's so crass. But that's exactly what people are saying when they say, what about handicapped children? Well, let's see what the Bible says about it, okay? This is a church. This is a Bible study. You're a Baptist, and we're a people of the book, right? Do your head like this. Say amen. I like amens. It just gets me fired up a little more. All right, look at Exodus chapter 4 and verse 11. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 11. Now, you know the context here. Moses has just spent 40 years in the back desert of Midian, squeezing sand between his toes and listening to sheep bleat. And all of a sudden, God appears to him in a burning bush. The bush is not consumed and God speaks to Moses and He says, I want you to go down to Egypt land and tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. And what did Moses say? He said, but, 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 but God, I, I, I can't do that. I stutter. And what did God say in verse 11? You look at it. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't begin to pretend to understand why God makes some children handicapped or blind or deaf or seeing 
or mentally challenged. But I'm going to give you a secret. God doesn't apologize to anybody. I don't know why He gave me and my sweet wife two special needs boys. Not one, but two. Thomas is one of them. Raise your hand again, Thomas. There you go. Thomas is Downs. John Richard, who's six or seven years older, was born with a cartilage deficiency in his airway. And every time he breathed deep or sucked a bottle, his oxygen level would drop, his eyes would roll back in his head, and he'd pass out. And it took us a month to figure out what was wrong with him, and then he ended up with a tracheotomy and a, and a BiPAP machine and high-flow oxygen and, and a feeding tube and a nurse around the clock. Our living room looked like a mini-ICU. And that lasted for nine months, and then all the nurses left, and, and it was just me and Mama for another nine months. And I'm telling you, those were desperate times in the Jackson household. And we had five other kids ahead of him to still take care of. Well, he finally outgrew all that. He's still low IQ, but he's five foot ten. He's got big old dimples and a handlebar mustache and a lady killing smile and He's a social butterfly. Isn't that right, Paul? Paul knows him. He, man, I mean, the girls love John Richard. And he's got a, you know, he's got a steady government check and he's available. So if any of you girls want a guy that's just doesn't expect much and got a steady income, he's available. Now, then Thomas came along. He was the cow's tail. He was the last little baby we had. He was born on, believe it or not, on Roe versus Wade Day. In January, on a snowy day, it snowed six inches of snow the day Thomas was born. And Thomas was born with, a, with no center wall in his heart. So the blood from right and left mixed freely. He was born in heart failure, stayed in heart failure for ten weeks, ended up having an emergency heart surgery up in Charlotte. He still had to have a, a feeding tube for a year. And eventually he outgrew all of those problems and as you can tell right now, he's not overly deficient. He's fairly stout. But he's he's a very pleasant Downs boy. We call him the backwards boy because he puts his clothes on backwards every day. Puts his boots on backwards, his shirt on backwards, and we kind of have to work around all that. But you see, Thomas didn't come here to learn. Thomas came here to teach. We call him the professor for that reason, because He teaches us lessons in life that we would have never learned otherwise. You see, Jesus said that He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And my wife and I and my children have all learned how to be servants, taking care of Thomas and John Richard. Now, you understand that being a servant is a premium value in the Christian life. Isn't that right? Do your head like this. But I know Christian folks that are adults that have never learned how to be a servant. And yet my children from an early age learn how to serve their two brothers. And I would submit to you very respectfully, brothers and sisters, that God places special needs folks, handicapped folks, in the life of the local church to teach you and me how to be more like Jesus. More like the Master I would ever be. More of His mercy. More humility. 
Now, we sing that in church, but do we really mean it? You see, I'm not so sure I want to be like Jesus that much. Lord, any other way, just don't give me a handicapped child. You see, why do we get so distressed when the doctor walks in the exam room, sluts the door and looks at you and says, well, ma'am, that ultrasound doesn't look quite right. And we get all upset thinking that we might give birth to a handicapped child. What's wrong with handicapped children? I got two of them. I love them to death. And if somebody would suggest to me that their life is not worth living, they're going to get a righteous fat lip. They might just get a holy black eye. Because I'm telling you, those boys are precious to me and my family. They've taught us lessons in life that we would not have learned any other way. And they bring joy to the life of our local church. These two guys are rock stars at our church. And I can't imagine life without Thomas and John Richard. Our church can't imagine life without Thomas and John Richard. Preach it, Thomas. Preach it, brother. But I want you to understand that anywhere between 67 and 90% of Down's children who are diagnosed prenatally in America are killed by abortion because folks don't want the hindrance of a special needs child. And I'll tell you why. I know why. When people have a special needs child... Well, back up. Your children, when they reach 18 to 22, what do they do? They sprout wings and fly away, don't they? Well, they're supposed to. But when you have a special needs child, they will love you and never leave you. See, Thomas and John Richard will be with me forever. Thomas can't shave himself without cutting his throat, so I, I have to shave Thomas twice a week. And he can't, he can't bathe himself properly, so I have to practically get in the shower and bathe him several times a week. And you know what? When I'm 85 years old, I'm going to still be shaving and bathing Thomas. And you know what? That sends shudders down the spine of most people, even Christian people. But guess what? It makes me more like the Master. Isn't that a premium value in the Christian life? Serving Thomas and John Richard makes me more like Jesus. And we sing that song, but in our heart of hearts, we really don't want to be that much like Jesus. Now you need to stick that in your pipe and go home today and smoke it for a while. Because that's a hard truth, brothers and sisters. It's hard, hard, biblical truth. Well, Doc, I hear what you're saying, but be for real. I mean, I mean, what about rape? What about those little babies? Don't you think it'd be better if... Better what? Don't you think it'd be better if those little children were... You mean killed before they're born? Oh, Doc, don't say it like that. That's so crass. That's so hard. It's so true. When people ask me about rape, what they're saying is it'd be better for those children to be killed by abortion before they were born. They're suggesting to me that the circumstances surrounding their conception is so difficult that those children deserve capital punishment for the misdeed of one of the parents. And I suggest to you that it's a twisted logic that would kill the unborn child for the misdeed of one of the parents. Many years ago, 
John Wilkie, Dr. John Wilkie, he was an obstetrician. He was the president of National Right to Life. And he was given a presentation, much like the one I'm giving you today, on a radio station in a small town. He'd never been to that town. But when he finished, a telephone call came to the radio station. And the station manager said, Dr. Wilkie, this phone calls for you. He said, well, I don't know anybody in this town. And the manager said, well, it's for you. He picks up the phone and a lady was on the phone. She said, Dr. Wilkie, you don't know me, but I want to tell you a story. She said, many years ago before I was born, our home was broken into. And two men bound and gagged my father and raped my mother. She said, I was conceived as a result of that rape. She said, this was before Roe v. Wade. And she said, my my parents went and spoke to the family doctor and he said even though it was illegal, he could arrange for an abortion. They went and talked to their pastor. He was troubled by the whole thing, but he said that an abortion would probably be the best thing for them. But I want you to know, Dr. Wilkie, that every night as I recline in my husband's arms and look at my two sons playing on the floor, that I thank God that my father was a righteous man and that he chose life for me. You see, brothers and sisters, you and I cannot arrogate to ourselves the right to determine the quality of life of another person simply because the circumstances surrounding their life, their conception may be difficult or desperate or unfavorable. You see, that woman had committed no crime. Neither had her parents. And she did not deserve capital punishment simply because it was a socially awkward situation surrounding her conception. And I'm here to tell you that there's no circumstance, no matter how desperate, that justifies the killing of innocent, unborn human beings. And until you and I come to grips with that, we will never be truly pro-life. Because once we put our feet on the slippery slopes and we say that there's one life that's unworthy of protection, then there's no stopping until we get all the way to the bottom and we have abortion on demand. So what can you and I do about all this? Well, let me suggest a few things to you before I close. Number one is we need to pray about it. Brothers and sisters, pray hard. Pray every day. God's ear is not so dull that He cannot hear. His arm is not so short and withered that He cannot save. Pray every day that God would bring an end to abortion in America. And I'm not talking about a little bit of prayer. You can't just poke it with a stick. I mean pray every day. I'm talking about overwhelming prayer. I'm talking about fasting and praying. Pray for the Mississippi bill that's going before the Supreme Court in June of this year. Pray every day that God will work in the heart of those Supreme Court justices and they would be inclined to undo the damage caused by Roe v. Wade. Pray for the South Carolina fetal heartbeat bill that's right behind that bill and that God would use one of these two bills to overturn Roe v. Wade. And then number two, educate yourself. You see, I'm not inclined to speak up about things about which I know nothing because I don't want to appear like a dummy, like an idiot, and neither do you. So that's why I wrote my book, The Family Doctor Speaks, The Truth About Life, 18 chapters of stories of patients that I have ministered to over the years with their issues. Everything from rape and incest to handicapped children 
John Richard and Thomas's stories are in here. But each of the stories ends with a biblical teaching to help equip you to talk to your children and your grandchildren. I talked to a lady this weekend who was discussing the issues with her son and grandson was just, the grandson was just listening in. And finally the grandson looked at his daddy and said, Daddy, what's abortion? Nine-year-old boy, what's abortion? The grandmother caught her breath. The son looks at the grandson and said, Son, it's when women have the right to kill their unborn children before they're born. She said she saw the mask of innocence just fall off of her grandson. And without hesitating, the grandson looked at his daddy and said, Daddy, you know that's not right. And somebody's got to put a stop to that. (laughs) What's wrong with the doctors, lawyers, judges, and Indian chiefs that they can't see what that little nine-year-old boy immediately saw? Well, that's what I wrote the book about. And see, I've got some copies in the box. For ten bucks, you can have one today just for your own self. And you can read it and be better educated than everybody in your neighborhood. And you'll be able to talk to your children and your grandchildren. Number three, contact your legislators. Listen, legislators don't see the light until they feel the heat. And oftentimes they don't move until you prod them. You need to educate your legislators and tell them to pass these pro-life bills and tell them that they, they just got to find a way. That's what my football coach told us when we were in high school. If we were behind at halftime, he'd say, boys, find a way. Find a way to win. And you see, we have a Republican pro-life Senate and House and a governor that's pro-life and Republican. Why in the world can we not pass every kind of pro-life legislation in the state of South Carolina? There's absolutely no excuse. Call them and tell them to find a way. And then number five, Support your crisis pregnancy center. In this town, we have one of the strongest crisis pregnancy centers in the entire country. One of the oldest crisis pregnancy centers in the entire country. And you can be their prayer supporter. You can be their financial supporter. And I'll tell you a secret, ladies. If you like to share the gospel, go be a volunteer. Because these ladies that come there are desperate, they're afraid, and they need the gospel. They need Jesus. And if you like to share the gospel, you will be an excellent volunteer. I D-double dog dare you. Put the monkey on your back, didn't I? Alright. And then number five, pray about being a foster parent or an adoptive parent. There are lots of young ladies out there who would give life to their child if they knew that a good God-fearing Christian family would adopt that child or be a foster parent to their child. There are lots of foster children in Spartanburg County that need a Christian family that would love them and take care of them and share the gospel with them. And listen, God didn't give you all that that big old house with all those extra bedrooms for nothing. They belong to little foster children that need a place to stay. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, Go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. If you'd like to contribute to further the efforts of the ministry, you can support them at patreon.com forward slash jacksonfamilyministries. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.